You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Welcome to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast, brought to you by Exodus Trail Cameras, the number one podcast for bow hunting product information and hunting stories from across the nation. And now, here's your nine-fingered host, Dan Johnson. Happy Monday, everybody. Welcome back. As you all know, Mondays can suck a really big fat one, but... uh, Hopefully this podcast makes your drive to work, your run on the treadmill, the, uh, I don't know, your breaks, whenever you're listening to this, makes you forget just a little bit about how much Mondays really do suck and uh, how close the hunting season is for some of us, if not already here, man. I know that youth season started in Iowa this weekend. Uh, we got two weeks of that, and then it's uh, opener in Iowa, and I know that's the same for several states. Um, Minnesota and Wisconsin, they opened. Kentucky's been open, and, uh, you know, here, I think by October 1st, all states will be open, and then the train really starts to roll. Uh, I'm, I know that I will probably not get into the timber until the weekend of October 21st. I have uh, a photography gig. I do some photography on the side. I have a wedding the weekend before that. And then I have an actual another family wedding the weekend after that, uh, which is which is okay. I think I'm okay with missing some October this year and in, in knowing that I'm going to be able to grind pretty hard uh, in the first two and a half weeks of November and I actually might be able to hunt the full first week, the full second week, and the full third week of October, um, and then stop right before Thanksgiving to go do uh, Thanksgiving things with the family. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to that. Um, there is a chance come October, I do make a trip, a day trip down and uh, pull some trail camera cards just to see what's moving, if there is anything hitting any of these pinch points or fence crossings and I'm not talking about the the in deep trail cameras I'm talking about the cameras that you can drive your truck up to so I'm going to be monitoring the easy ones uh, like I always do and then wait until I actually start hunting to check the uh, the ones that are actually next to the tree stands if that's even uh, if that's even something that uh, I, I get to you know as we all know Trail camera pictures are information for the next year because they've already happened. You know, a deer could walk by your stand 
three days in a row, you check it, that doesn't mean he's going to be walking by on the fourth day. It could. It's it's a good indicator, but it, it, nothing's guaranteed. Today's podcast, however, we're going to be talking with Tom Titlow from Pennsylvania. And I know a lot of guys that we've had on this podcast, we've talked to are from the west side, right? He is from the east side, really close to Philadelphia. And uh, he's going to talk about suburban hunting. He's going to talk about hunting up in the mountains. Um, so he actually hunts two different parts of the state. Uh, one is suburban, one is up in the mountains. And uh, it's it's a cool, it's really cool listening to the transition, how he changes his hunting and, you know, the, the small parcels that he hunts near the city limits all the way to the bigger parcel that he hunts um, up in the northeastern side of the state. But it's always good to listen, you know, get a different perspective from the same state because just like Iowa, the further west you go in Iowa, the flatter it gets, right? Even in northwest Iowa, it gets pretty flat up there. And I'm in the southeast corner, and there's a lot of river bottoms and fingers and draws and, and ag field up there. But northwest, it's all ag. So, uh, you know, every state has its differences, but that's what we're going to be talking about with Tom today. Really kick-ass podcast. Now, I don't, I don't know really how to put this without just saying it blatantly and bluntly. Uh, lone wolf tree stands are the best tree stand on the market. Um, they have the, the self-leveling adjustments, the bat wings alone, are worth their weight in gold when it comes to that hunting product. Being able to set up in a, tr- a crooked tree but set up your tree stand straight, that is a huge thing, right? Because who wants to sit on a crooked tree stand all day long? And if you're the type of guy who likes to run and gun, I don't really see there as any other option other than a lone wolf tree stand. So, and as, as you guys know, dude, I've been using these tree stands for a long time. Uh, when you mix the stand with the, the a four-piece stick combo, you can go just about anywhere and, and hang up just about anywhere, really. So, be sure to go to lonewolfhuntingproducts.com slash nine fingers okay go to that website go to that url lonewolfhuntingproducts.com slash nine fingers enter your name enter your email address and you will be entered to win uh, a tree stand there's two more drawings there's one october no there's there's only one left and it's october 1st so be or was is it yeah 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 October 1st. So please, 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 please uh, make sure that you guys are signed up for that. And then when you do sign up, you will receive a discount code for $50 all off all orders over $200. So be sure to uh, um, take advantage of that. Go visit lonewolfhuntingproducts.com slash nine fingers. That's the number nine followed by the word fingers. And um, enter your name and email address into the giveaway and you can win a tree stand and you will also get a discount code. The discount code is 9FC50, but you know, I'm not supposed to say that. 
and you will receive $50 off all orders over $200. So be sure to go do that right now. Again, Lone Wolf Tree Stands are badass. Um, they're kind of like, I don't know, just think of the baddest ass person you know, and that's kind of like what a Lone Wolf Tree Stand is, and plus they're made in America. So there's that. So enough of the bullshit. Let's get into today's Hunter Profile podcast with Tom Titlow. All right, everybody, welcome back, and today we're going to be talking with a gentleman named Tom Titlow out of Pennsylvania. How are you doing today, Tom? I'm doing well, Dan. How about yourself? I can't complain, man. When does uh, PA season open? Uh, It opens for me, actually, this Saturday, September 16th for uh, southeastern Pennsylvania. Okay, so is is, is that through the entire state? Do they have one opening day or because Pennsylvania is kind of big and in different terrain and different population, do they have different uh, opening days? Um, this is, there's two different opening days. So Southeastern PA is like a special regulations area. There's different, uh, WMUs that they have. So five D and five C, uh, which is the Southeastern part of PA will open up September 16th along with uh, black bear as well. And oh, then nice. this, the state opener opens like the whole state will be October 1st. Right. Right. So you, you mentioned black bear. Um, and I want to, I want to get in, I want to ask you a question about that here in a second, but before we get into what we're going to talk about today, why don't you tell everybody where you live and what do you do for a living? Sure. I am, I live right outside of uh, Philadelphia. So I live 20 minutes outside of the city. I work in the city about 90% of the time, depending on what my job entails me to do. I'm a sheet metal worker in Local 19, so that's construction. Um, We do HVAC, duct work, all in the high-rise buildings in Center City, Philadelphia. Um, I work, my hours are usually 6 to 2.30, eight-hour job, 40 hours a week, and, uh, you know, pays the bills. Right. It allows me to get out in the woods in the afternoons or at home, um, and I'm a weekend warrior heading up to northeast Pennsylvania. Right, right. So Philadelphia, okay, um, I went – I work sometimes um, – I guess the sister company that I work with is out in King and Prussia. That's just west of Philly, and every once in a while we'll go in, right? Philly's known for cheesesteaks, right? And then there's yeah. Pat's – Pat's King, and then there's, uh, what's the other one? Geno's, right? And and they are right across the street from each other, and they are they're they're popular to the tourists, but I've heard that the the best cheesesteaks aren't either of those two places. Is that true? I I would have to agree because surprisingly enough, I've lived in Philadelphia my whole life, and uh, I've never had Pat's or Geno's. Really? <laughs> so. Yeah, I've never had either of them. Um, I typically go to Steve's Prince of Steaks or uh, Jim's Steaks, and they're both very good. Right. So the the two that I mentioned, those are just like tourist stops, right? Yeah, I mean, I guess if you lived in South Philly, I'm sure people would go there as well. But um, you know, it's uh, yeah, it's more touristy. I would I would think. I gotcha. So do, so you don't you don't ever make it down that far. No, nah, not typically. I, you know, I'm I'm uh, northeast Philadelphia, just outside northeast Philadelphia. Gotcha. So, um, 
yeah, I, it, unless I go down to a, a Phillies game or an Eagles game or Flyer or any sports outing, uh, you, you know, I'll be closer down there, but I usually hit something on the way home if, if I was going to stop for a cheesesteak. Right, right. I know that uh, when when the first time I went there, we did all of the uh, uh, tourist stuff, like, you know, go to the, I think it's the library, right? And then I ran up the stairs, like, in the Rocky movie, and I did, I was that douchebag who ran up the stairs <laughs> and, and jumped up and down and got my picture taken with a statue <laughs> and all that stuff. Yeah, that's the uh, art museum. The art museum, that's right. That's y- right. Yep. <laughs> all right, yeah, that's so... Funny. Uh- so you live in east on the east side of pennsylvania and i know that we've had a lot of guys on this podcast who live in the the central and the western side of the state so oh wait wait a second before we get into that you mentioned black bears and i was talking to a guy who said that there is at one point in time, somewhere around southeastern Pennsylvania, eastern Pennsylvania, in some of these, uh, in some of these suburbs, there was a big black bear problem because they did not allow hunting. The bears became overpopulated, and there was just like bears digging through people's trash, stealing their pets, um, having these big knockdown drag out fights in people's backyards. Is that something that you've witnessed? I've never witnessed that, uh, living, uh, pretty close to the city, city limits. Um, but up, uh, North, uh, along the river near the Delaware water gap, that, in that area, yeah. um, that's, more prevalent with the bears behavior digging through trash a lot of touristy people come through there a lot of people come down through new york hang out there throughout the summer um and besides that across the river in new jersey uh the bear seasons over there i don't i forget what their seasons are but a lot of the bear come from new jersey swim across the river and then just terrorize the poconos (laughs) i watched i watched a youtube video of these two bears fighting like violent like really hardcore battling each other out one walked away with this huge cut flesh hanging off of its face and this was like in an alley behind like a row of houses it was nuts (laughs) i believe it i haven't seen that video though all right so like I said, we've had people on from the western part of the state. We've had people on from the central part of the state, but we really haven't had anybody on the east, uh, from the east side of the state, on the podcast. So describe the areas that you hunt because you hunt close to Philly, right outside of the city limits, and you kind and you mentioned you head up north on the weekends to the northeastern part of the state. What's the terrain like? Is there any agriculture there? Uh, describe some of the properties that you hunt, the size of the properties, and so forth. So the properties that I hunt um, locally near my house outside of Philadelphia, um, I have permission on three different areas close to home. Um, one is located right near a golf course. So obviously that's, those grasses are kept pretty clean and cut. And, and around that area, there is actually, um, there's agricultural field that a university does, you know, studies on, you know, whatever they're planting that type of year. Usually it's just corn, corn and soybean. And I do a lot of drive-bys and check out some deer because, you know, during the rut, they could, 
potentially come to the property that I'm hunting. Um, but it's relatively flat down in the southeastern part of PA. Yeah. Um, so, like, but that's the one property that has some ag near it. Um, another property is literally right off the side of the railroad tracks. A train could come by any second, but the deer are in there. Um, and then another piece of property is kind of like landlocked within some private property that I got permission in the middle of this all. And there's just a creek running through it. And it's pretty flat with um, some overgrown, uh, real thick brush fields where the, they typically like to bed in there. And uh, so I got three decent good spots close to home that are uh, pretty productive. And then as far as up north, uh, that's just totally different style of hunting. You get up in the uh, into the mountains up there, and uh, I have a cabin. And my family has a cabin up in northeastern PA, and that can get pretty, you know, rough up and down the hills. And uh, you know, you got your your hollows and the mountain tops, and it comes into the saddle. It's, it's all types of different land terrain features. Uh, I typically like to stare at a topographical map before I pick the area I'm going to be going. So. Right. So the two different areas of the state that you do hunt are completely different from one another uh, from a terrain standpoint, right? Correct. And I take it that uh, that influences or there's a huge change not only in strategy, but in deer movement in general? Yeah, definitely. Um, down here in you know the south part of the state, <laughs> excuse me, um, the deer kind of have to move through these areas they have no place to go um there's developments there's industrial parks there's highways and train tracks and you know surprisingly a lot of times these deer walk right down the middle of the train tracks and uh because that's the only place they can go to get from point a to point b or whatever they're going that day so these deer have to be in these woods and you know I don't pay attention to the wind as much down here in certain spots because uh, the deer, to me, I found that they're kind of used to people a little bit. I don't know if yeah. that sounds bad <laughs> or easier, but, um, you know, mature bucks down here still get big for a reason. So right. I do try to pay attention to the wind as much as I can. But uh, if, you know, I just feel like if I have the itch and I want to get out there, I'll go. And typically I'll see a good amount of deer no matter which way the wind is blowing. Right. So in the farms that I hunt, the deer, they don't have exposure to human scent every day. I take it that some of the bucks in the closer to city limits places that you're hunting probably have exposure to human scent way more often than the average uh, deer hunters used to. Yeah, definitely. I've, I've noticed sometimes when I've walked in to my stand, um, I've, I've bumped some deer out. And an hour later, they're back. Yeah. They, they use, you just watch and filter back in because there's no place for them to go. But, um, yeah, I, I would, and, it, you know, a lot of these guys are working out back in industrial parks. And, you know, obviously the one place I hunt uh, is very close to a golf course. There's people driving in and out through there. There's developments there, little kids running around and stuff. So they, these deer are pretty familiar with humans. Right. Um, and how, how big are some of these parcels that you're hunting? Um, one is about almost a hundred acres. Yeah. Uh, the other one is about an acre and the third property is 14 acres. 
So very small c- compared to. Yeah. Okay, gotcha. Now. Very small. So you're hunting small, small parcels in like in urban, and I want to focus on the southeast part of the state for, at this time. But okay. you're 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 focused on small parcels in a heavy populated area, heavier populated area than let's say like uh, the guys who are hunting central and maybe even western uh, part of the state, just depending on where you're at. Cause I know what they got, uh, um, Pittsburgh guy. I I've talked to some guys who hunt around Pittsburgh. Um, so what's the hunting pressure like? I mean, the pr- places that you hunt, you mentioned are their private ground, but are you running into, uh, situations where you have to share like these small parcels with other hunters or you have to fight trespassers or anything like that? So yeah, the the property that's the hundred acres, the the biggest property, um, I there's a I share it with another guy. Um, last year he did not. Last year was the first year I was able to hunt this property. I asked permission. The guy said yeah. He's like there was another guy on the property. Uh, he ended up not going hunting at all last year because he had something wrong. He had surgery or something, and then, but he's back this year. We'll be hunting, you know, together, per se, and uh. But I ran trail cameras all last year through there, and being the only one that I knew of to have permission and talking to the landowner, I was the only one supposed to be in there. I had different guys on my trail cameras every other week. Um, so that was kind of annoying because I had some good buck down here that I was following all summer long, and um, you know I had names for them and everything, and uh, you know these guys just coming through just you know, as well as I do, these big bucks don't like traffic or people pressure at all. So, you know, it just, just drove them out of there. And, um, it, I actually, it wasn't even a a great of a spot then. I I actually didn't even want to go there as much. I didn't want to run into anybody. And so I just stuck with my, the smaller property of the one acre for the most part and did pretty well there. Right. So on some of these smaller parcels, that are, you know, just outside of the city limits, are they, and you, you mentioned their, their developments. So are you hunting in like backyards or are you hunting in, you know, cause a- around where I live, uh, not necessarily where I live, but just South, uh, there are, there's a, a larger city and then there's like, uh, subdivisions off of all those but in some of the subdivisions there's these fingers of timber with real steep drop-offs that kind of come up and all the houses are built around them and that's that's where the deer kind of hang out is that a is that a typical kind of area that you're hunting as far as the setup are you hunting in people's backyards are you hunting in acreages what's what's that that property look like um, the ones with the developments near it, it's, I'm not hunting anybody's backyard. Um, right. the properties just happen to border the property I'm allowed to hunt. Um, there's a good amount of timber in the bigger property, the 100 acre property that I ha- I'm allowed to hunt. Um, so that's, that's more of like a seclusion area, but that's the people where I have the problem with the trespassing. Right. Um, the, the one acre lot that I can hunt, that's literally behind a, uh, a manufacturer building 
Okay. So there's people wa- walking back and forth. I, sometimes a guy will walk by or kids will walk down the train tracks. Uh, so that's, that's not necessarily in a development, but there's people walking by all the time. Right. And then the other property, which I had just picked up this year, so I haven't had a chance to hunt it at all yet, but just being in there, you know, running some trail cameras and stuff, there are houses that are up on the hill, um, but there's a big tract of land in there that has some baseball fields near it and stuff that, uh, and it runs along a Creek that that's pretty open, but the deer seem to like it in there with the thick overgrown, like brush field. That's, that's there as well. And, uh, so like I said, I haven't hunted that property yet at all. So I don't know how the people traffic is in there. Gotcha. Now the next question is how do you, how do you go about, putting together a plan for some of these properties when there you have, it's almost like there's so many curveballs that can be thrown your way, whether it is, you know, a, a factory just doing business, kids walking down a railroad track, um, you know, I guess people out and about in their yards. It just seems like the deer would be hard to pattern because people are, are just randomly doing things throughout the day? I think the deer are kind of used to it. So I, I think that those little obstructions that you typically wouldn't hear if you're hunting um, out of state or up in northern PA that, you know, where it's pretty quiet and, you know, you hear that lawnmower start up, the deer freak out, like, what the heck is that? Um, down here, they're just, that's just another everyday noise for them. So, I don't really think it bothers them too much. Um, so like I'll throw it back to last year. Like I had three or four different bucks on the property that I was hunting, you know, one was pushing 140 plus. And, um, you know, the, I had, these deer were pretty patternable throughout the whole summer. And I knew that if I got in there on opening day, I was going to kill one of these bucks, but from landowner requirements, he did not want me in there on certain points of the season because of the, uh, the golfing traffic that was going through there. Right. So he just, so I couldn't hunt that opening day. So then when I got there, the very first day that I could, I checked my trail cameras and there was people on there and I never saw those bucks ever again. <laughs> right. Right. So, gotcha. um, so this year, actually one of the bucks that I had on trail camera last summer showed up again. And I named him Happy Gilmore. So he showed up again this year, but not quite near as the same as pattern as last year. Same trail camera locations, but I I still can't nail him down. Um, I know he's on the property. I actually saw him last night when I took a drive by there. Oh, nice. Um, and that was the first time I yeah I I was I was nervous because I was like I had to have a picture of this deer since October uh, not October August. 23rd was the last picture I had of him and he was still in velvet. So being the season opens on Saturday, I'm like, let me take a ride by, see what these deer are doing in the afternoon. And, uh, you know, I saw a handful of does and I'm getting ready to drive away. And I look, and I'm like, oh, I see, I see this rack in the woods. And I'm like, oh man, that's a nice buck. So I pull over, I get my video camera out and I zoom in on him. And, uh, I'm like, oh my God, it's happy. <laughs> and he's, he's right there. He's probably 500 yards from where my tree stand is that I have set up from, you know, 
I'm using intel from last year of what I saw all these big bucks doing in the early part of the season. So I set my stand up accordingly from last year's information. Right. I set it. I set it up in June. So right. that's where I'll be in Saturday morning, hoping that Happy seems to uh, he wants to take that trail and go in and bed behind me there. Right. And but that's what they did last year. I don't know if he's going to do that this year because he hasn't been consistent on any trail camera whatsoever. Gotcha. So the question I have for you is when you're hunting these smaller parcels, man, how do you, how do you know where they're bedding, what the food source is, you know, where the travel corridors are or water and how do you set up? I mean, do you just walk in, set up and say, well, I only have one acre I got to find the best possible spot to put a tree stand and I just sit and wait it out. Or are you trying to hunt bedding areas in specific, specific locations? So, uh, you mentioned the one acre plot. I'll, I'll go to that place first. Um, okay. That one is, a. you walk in the tree stand is it's these deer have to go through here. Um, hunting there throughout the years, I figured out where they move through in this property. So the tree stand, where it's at, they have to come by me at 20 yards, no matter what. If I sit there all day in the rut, there's a good chance I'm going to see a, a decent buck. Um, okay. During the early season, um, it's pretty thick behind me, and there's a creek that runs through the property. And it's really thick behind my tree stand. And it's, it's typically just a doe bedding area, and you don't see too many bucks early season. But come late October, um, last year I didn't hunt it at it all in the beginning of the season. And I got in there November 1st, and it was just literally just running back and forth, grunting, chasing does all over the place. It was, it was actually pretty cool. It's one of the most cool, the better experience I've ever had in that on that property. Right. Um, so, and it's just because I believe it was a doe bedding area. They, they bed just it stays pretty thick in there and the tracks are on one side and where i put that tree stand they have to come through there right um on the hundred on the hundred acre property that's more one second that's though more, one second one yep. second on okay. that one acres it sounds like that's a pretty tight area right i mean there's there's some oh, development yeah. in there um what are these deer eating uh browse um there are a couple oak trees in there um that do drop acorns from year to year, but it depends on what the crop's like. Um, I haven't been over there, honestly, this year and scouted it at all. I just try to always just stay out of there because I know it's going to be good whether the acorns are there or not. Um, but, uh, honestly, I really don't know besides browse and, you know, they could just walk through the, these, like, uh, the grass that's next to the industrial parks or the buildings, the factories, and they just eat, in there and just regular wild grass or if there's any wild clover in there and that's okay. that's and just the shrubs gotcha all right cool now the 100 acres i'm sorry yeah no problem um the 100 acres is more of like a strategic planning type of hunt like there's oak trees i did found i found a couple clumps of white oak um that don't drop acorns all the time um but other than that, it's the same thing. Like they, these deer, I I found that they're they typically would like to bed in this big thick area. There's another creek running through this property, and I did notice that the deer will they don't care. They'll travel for food. So 
you know, a mile for you and I is far, but for them, it's nothing. So those ag fields are within a mile and a half from the property I can hunt. So I, I believe from last year that these deer were going to hit in the soybeans and then they were just coming back to bed on this property on the hundred acre property. Um, so that's how I think those deer travel. And, you know, I know, I know where they, I have a good idea where they bed. There's a couple different really thick area there that I would just believe this bedding area. I don't really like to go into there. <laughs> right. Makes a lot of sense. So now, so, yeah. so there's a little bit more strategy on this bigger piece of, uh, property that you hunt, but it sounds to me like you didn't hunt it last year because of like trespassing and additional hunting pressure. Yes. Now okay. this year I, I'm going to, I have uh, full permission to get in there this year, um, whenever I want. So that's a little change this year, which gives me a little bit more of a, uh, incentive to get over there. And, um, I do pay attention to the wind on this property because, because and how I access the property because where I park my truck typically is so close to the bedding area that if the wind's bad then I it's I have to either get in there super super early before these deer get in or I just don't go in there at all or I have to get somebody to drop me off to so for a better access route than my tree stand right now with these deer being used to additional human activity do you ever get busted or do you ever get, you know, winded and what is the deer's reaction once that happens? So I've gotten busted in the tree stands before, uh, especially on the one acre property, but they typically, the deer, they kind of just stare at it and they're like, what is that in the tree? And they try to get downwind of you and then they do, but they, they don't, don't, know if they ever really pick up on my smell but they don't ever come within bow range again that's for sure right. they know something's wrong but they don't ever leave or blow out of the area as well right um, right i i mean i i try to be a scent i'm a scent freak so i try to be scent controlled as possible right so on you know on the on the one acre piece you're you're set up on this trail you mentioned it's just a matter of time uh, have you been successful on that this piece in previous years with that just wait them out strategy uh yes i i've shot in plenty of doe there um and like i said last year was the first year i didn't hunt it until the rut and i shot a buck there last year with my bow um and actually the biggest buck to date for me and uh we scored him at 125 and a half inches just gross yeah and he was just a big big giant like a big eight pointer real head real he looks like a six pointer and it, but he has two scoreable points as like crab claws at the end yeah um so he just but was super happy. and i shot this deer in november and looked for him the very next day couldn't find him looked for him five six days in a row after that never found this deer and uh, i and i'm like man i know this deer's dead somewhere and I kept looking, 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 and I never found him. And then in shed season, I went back through there and I found him. And he was only 150 yards from my tree stand. Oh, that sucks, man. That sucks. Yeah. 
I'm looking at the picture you sent me right now, and it is funny because in 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 the picture there's a down fence, and I can see in the background like the the roofs of buildings. Yep, that's the, that's the property. <laughs> that's him. Oh wow, that's crazy. So, and I'll make sure I post that. Uh, I'll post that picture, but. Um, do you ever run into any type of, you know, when you, when you get around a higher population, you got to be a little bit careful because, uh, you know, there, there may be some people sensitive to you killing an animal. Do you ever run into anybody, you know, any anti hunters, you know, throwing shade your way because you're actually out there hunting? Uh, I have not, not yet. Okay. Not yet, I should say. But this the, the new property I've just uh, picked up this year. Um, I'm going to expect that because the way I have to access the property, I may have to pass a few people walking on my way in. And okay. they might look at me like I have six heads because I'm carrying a bow and I'm dressed in camo. And they're like, it's not Halloween right. yet. <laughs> right, right, right. And is this, so. is, is that place, uh, that's the 100 acre piece, right? No, this is the 14 acre uh, piece. Okay. Um, that, that that's a new property. Like I said, I didn't really hunt. I haven't ever hunted it yet. So gotcha. I'm expecting to see people there that might give me a hard time. But I have permission to be there. I have, you know, I have documents that say I'm allowed to be there. So like I can't get in trouble by anybody. So I'm not worried about it. I just you know be respectful for the the person and just move on. You know. Right. Right. It was kind of funny. I think I did a uh, a podcast with a guy out of Maryland, and he said that he knocked on some lady's door, asked about permission, and she was all she she did not want anybody hunting because she was kind of against hunting. She didn't feel that you know archery was what are safe or anything, but she she still took the guy's number <laughs> and. Then the deer started eating her very expensive landscaping plants and flowers and just digging up the bulbs and stuff and uh, and destroying her landscaping. And then once that happened, she realized that they are an, they can be a nuisance. So she called that guy and he started killing deer out of her backyard. <laughs> yeah, she became the biggest non-anti-hunter ever. Exactly. <laughs> Exactly. And it's funny how that changes, right? It's like the reason this, this lady decided to call this hunter to come up and take care of a deer problem wasn't necessarily because she supported the decision to hunt, but it was because it's costing her money in landscaping. Yep. <laughs> that's just funny it, how it works. <laughs> yeah, it's, that's bananas to me, but you know, hey, yeah. I guess it's better than a hard no, right? Yeah, definitely. I would take that yes all day, every day. Right. So obviously, in the rut, there's additional deer movement that goes anywhere you that there's deer, right? Deer are up on their feet. The bucks are looking for does. They want to breed. So do you make an adjustment on some of these smaller pieces between, you know, this Saturday when you start hunting and, you know, the up and coming rut when, you know, as, as October progresses and we get into November, there's going to be more 
more deer on their feet. Do you change your strategy at all, or does it, you still go back to the weight amount mentality? The smallest piece of property, it's it's weight amount. There's no, there really there really is no strategy there. It's just sit and wait uh, because they they're going to come through sooner or later. Um, the bigger pieces, I, I'll tend to start uh, edging my way a little bit closer and closer to each bedding area, um, and hoping you know a buck's going to come in, sun checking these the does in the bedding area, or or one of the if I know a buck's bedding in there that he'll come out and, you know, give me a shot opportunity. Okay. Uh, now on that one acre piece, do you do any calling like rattling or grunting at all? Yeah. So last year when I shot that buck, I saw it was, I think it was November 19th. So the season opens here and goes all the way up to, Basically, it doesn't really close until January or something. So archery's open forever. <laughs> yeah. So I was in there. So I was in there November nineteenth, I think it was. And then I saw this doe run by, and then I saw this rack just coming through the woods. And I'm like, wow, oh, nice buck. So I had my a cow can with me, and I hit that once, and then I grunted once, and he stopped and he looked. And I just, I didn't do anything else. And I just waited. And next thing you know, I see him, I'm like, oh, where'd he go? And the next thing you know, boom, 40 yards away, coming on, on a rope right to me. Right. So right. That he responded to the calls. And I do, I do typically pretty well with, you know, grunting at deer um, throughout when it gets closer to the breeding season. Okay. So it's easy. I, I mean, not easy to call them in, but, uh, on, on some of these smaller parcels that are heavier populated by humans, ra- uh, like a calling sequence will work. Definitely. I've, I've had small bucks come in, uh, the does came in sometimes, uh, and even the bigger bucks that I've seen, they all, they get a little curious and they come check it out and definitely has given me shot opportunities. Okay. Cool. Cool. What about sign? Um, when you, and especially, I'm I'm kind of curious. When you did you did you get access to scout this 14 acres that you're getting ready to hunt this year? Yes, I do have access to scout that. Um, I got it actually about, I would say, the beginning of August. So I right. didn't really. I just poked in there real quick, hung a couple trail cameras on some heavy trails that i saw and uh that was it i don't i didn't poke around too much because i didn't want to disturb the area i wanted to kind of keep it as fresh as possible but uh just walking in and out of there i did notice some um old buck rubs on some decent sized trees um and i have a good feeling that it's going to be a decent property that or I'll, i'll be able to i'll eventually see you know scrape activity and start seeing some buck rubs and uh if i get in there this saturday you know depending on how the wind's going to be over there you know i might see some of that uh sign starting to pop up now since they are you know they're shedded their velvet right right um so do you see sign pop up at all uh on let's say that one acre piece uh is there is are they laying 
sign because you know deer deer are very social animals and they they do scrapes for you know social interaction basically but you know for their nose and i'm just curious when the deer are forced to travel in certain areas like what you're hunting in you know they're they're confined to certain paths or they'd be walking on roads and highways and 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 that kind of thing are they still making scrapes? Are they still making rubs and whatnot? Yes. Uh, the one-acre uh, parcel there, uh, that gets pretty it, – it gets a good amount of rubs in it um, come late October, early November. It starts – the sign starts pouring in there. And uh, there's always there's always a scrape in, in this one tree about 10 yards behind my tree stand every single year. And, nice. you know, I pass up. You know, I'm typically looking for a three and a half year old deer or better. So I'll pass up these smaller bucks and they're constantly stopping at this scrape and, you know, and, you know, leaving their scent there. Right. Okay. So now I want to transition to Northeastern, uh, part of the state where you, you know, you spend some weekends and some, some longer trips up in the, the mountains. Is this, is that, the official like Appalachian mountains that you're hunting in? Uh, yeah, I believe it is part of that. uh, Okay. All right. Range of mountains. So it's steeper. It's the terrain is different. The wind is obviously different. How do you change your strategy when you're going from these small parcels in a heavy, you know, a heavy populated human environment to, you know, these, steep mountainsides so i like to when i get up to in their mountains i like to hunt uh topographical side of the map uh the lay of the land land features some draws saddles ridges stuff like that um typically i've been hunting up there since i've been 12 years old so i've got a good idea on how the deer move throughout the the lay of the land and I'm learning new things every year, you know, obviously by listening to some of your podcasts and Wired to Hunt podcasts, listen to them, I, I pick up so much information, which is making me a lot better for hunting these uh, hill country bucks, per se. Yeah. So, um, but the wind is just, that's, last year is the first year I really, really paid attention to the wind. And um, I've never seen so many deer in my life doing that. Right. Usually I would just go, oh, I'm just going to the stand. The wind swirls all all the time. I'm just going here anyway. I don't care. Well, yeah. last year I didn't do that. I, I I paid attention to how the wind did, and I put accordingly for each scenario of wind. And it just – I've every time I was out there, I saw I would see 12 to 14 deer, which is usually unheard of for most people hunting in the northeastern parts of PA. Right, right. And, so, uh, so do you hunt thermals at all in these mountains? I, I talked with a guy a couple weeks ago out of uh, uh, Virginia, and he said that basically he hunts thermals in some of that steeper terrain, just like the guys out west hunt thermals for elk and uh, western game. And so do thermals play a part in your hunting strategy uh, throughout the year? Uh, last year they did not because I really wasn't sure about 
I, I knew what thermals were, but I I may paid more attention to the prevailing wind gotcha. than thermals. But I think I got lucky by accident by where okay. my tree stands were, the way the thermals worked, and you know just reviewing my season from last year and how everything played out for me. Um, I all my tree stands were actually set up perfectly for the way the thermals were going. So that you know. Two of my tree stands that I have, one for a northwest wind and one for a southwest wind, I have them located lower on the mountain and it, on, on the ridge. And so in the morning when the thermals are rising, coming up, and the winds from the northwest coming down, blowing over the ridge, you know, they're just shooting straight up in the air typically. So no deer at all would be smelling me ever. Right, right. So, I, and I did that by accident last year. Uh, but this year I, and I put it all together this year thinking, Oh wow, I did that right. And didn't even know <laughs> <laughs> just dumb luck, right? <laughs> yeah. Just dumb luck. And, uh, you know, but you know, learning more, each more and more every year, I, I was like, wow, right. I did something right. <laughs> so you talked a little bit about topographical maps, um, and where your tree stands are placed on the, the steeper elevation in these mountains. I want you to walk us through. And give us a visual description of what the, what these tree stand locations look like, where they're located on these mountains, and how you're how you're accessing them. Okay, so uh, one of my, I guess my better stands. So there's this mountain. I guess if I'm looking down on top of this topographical map, the mountain to my left goes way up high. I mean, it's it's pretty steep it probably i'm not sure of the elevation but it's probably 1500 plus um and then it kind of breaks down and then all these mountain ranges come in together and form like this narrow pinch and i call it like a saddle or a saddle in there and these deer come from off of this mountain they, they want to travel down these points and ridges and they, they use this saddle or the terrain as the easiest way to get from mountain range and mountain range or does or wherever in the rut or if they're feeding on acorns or wherever they need to be going so the way that the land lies is a big hollow in the middle it comes up and wraps around like this it comes up and you know that meets together where these two mountain ranges join there's a saddle and it's flat and it's two mountains on each side and that's where i typically get my tree stands in there right in that I guess it would be a transition zone in between these two two mountains because of the way the point comes off and the ridges wrap around. It just it kind of forces the deer through there, even though these mountains are so vast and huge that they can go anywhere. It kind of this area, this specific area, narrows it down for them just a little bit, which puts it in my favor. Just you know, a small amount, which is helpful. I, right. I don't know if that. Ex- answers your question good enough or not i'm not sure right so on these on these uh mountains are you parking in the bottom and walking up or are you parked up top and walking down so i i will park like in the middle on another mountain and then i i i walk as far as i can because i don't i want to be in there dead quiet as early as i can so i i will park pretty far away as high as i can get up on the mountain so my walk is as flat as possible 
Right. Or if I'll be walking, like I'll walk down one mountain and I'll hit where, you know, it kind of, it goes into the valley and I'll walk through that valley and then I start heading back up. Okay. And then that's when I hit into my, and when I'm, when I'm doing that, usually that's when I'm checking my wind and then I'll figure out which tree stand I'll be hunting that day. Okay. So you just, now you mentioned, uh, before we started, uh, uh, recording that the, the pieces of ground in Southeast part of the state are private, but when you go up to the Northeast part of the state, is that public ground? Uh, it's, it's mixed. It's, okay. uh, we have, we have about 200 acres of private land that okay. we manage, you know, ourselves. Um, and it, there's a good, there's, it's mixed with private, public, private, public. And so a lot of the places I hunt, um, are you know, mostly private, but I do venture off the private land and I do hit the public land as well. And, uh, you know, it's kind of one of them hidden little gems right, that there's sure. not very much pressure. So on, uh, on that private, are you using private ground to access that public, that public spot then? Yes. We, yeah. the, the way we, our, our cabin is at the top of a mountain and we have 200 acres on top of the mountain and, okay. um, I, I'm able to just basically walk right from the cabin. Right. Okay. Makes so, sense. Um, yeah, I can anywhere I want to go from there. Sometimes, you know, it's a little longer than normal or that you want to, but it's well worth it. Right. Right. It makes a lot of sense. I have a, I have a piece of uh, property near my house where through scouting on, I have, I had permission to shed hunt this piece of property and I scouted this public piece of property and I found this inside corner that is just money on a northwest wind and all these deer just kind of hug this corner uh, in the rut while they're cruising. I sat it a couple times last year, but I use private property to access this public ground. So the road is probably a half a mile back. Um, it's, it's just imagine like a big, long rectangle sur- surrounded by private ground on all sides except the bottom where there's a parking lot. So these guys are, they can only walk a certain path in. But for me, I can walk, I can access this private ground, walk the uh, field edge and access it from the top. So as these guys are getting out of their stands in the morning, they're bumping deer further towards me and all these deer come piling off of this uh, public ground and are entering and then they go and bed on private ground uh, to the top so it's pretty cool I saw about five different uh, five different hunters on this piece on on this public ground I got ruined I wasn't too terribly worried about it but it's cool this is kind of a tip for everybody even if a, a landowner says no you can't hunt they may be able to give you access to a particular piece of public and or private ground that you already have uh, um, access to because, as we all know, access to a tree stand location is hugely important. Definitely. I, I, that's, how, that's why this property up north for me is pretty on point because I have perfect access. I, I'm already at the top. 
And yeah. for me to get to any place I want to be is it's easier for anybody else that has to come in from the bottom that doesn't right. have, don't have access to the road that I have access to. Right. Absolutely. Now, what about food? Uh, is there any ag in that area that these deer are, are hitting or are these just mountain deer? What are they eating? Um, so on one side of the mountain, uh, they're down in the bottom. There are um, alfalfa, clover, hayfields, some cornfields, soybeans. Like it, it's a mixture of things. You know, how they rotate the crops, so each year right. it'll be different. Um, so that side of the mountain, yes, on, I would say, the north end of the, the mountain. And then the south side of the mountain, on the other through a valley and up another mountain the south side there's nothing it's just they're just it's just mountains there's no agriculture on that side so there's a mixture of both where the deer would go down to the ag if they need to or depending on how far they want to travel and then a lot of the deer just live up there and we live in off of acorns there's a ton of uh, red oak up there and acorns and browse and well and then our whatever land management that my property has we plant food food plots uh, every year uh this year we put in a lot of clover uh, and uh, some white cell institute stuff uh and that that that's been uh, working a lot working really well for me actually this year so nice nice got a lot of nice bucks on a trail camera using the food plots so it's it's nice where where are the the deer bedding then do they have a standard location or do they bed all in all different places? These deer bed wherever they want, honestly. They, they'll they bed right in the middle of the field. If, if I like to leave a lot of uh, near the food plots. I like to leave um, security cover there. So I won't I won't cut our, our fields that we have with the tractor. I'll leave them three, four foot high. And they, a lot of the deer bed right in the, the does will bed right in the fields. And the bucks, they typically uh, will go up on each side of the mountain. It's like the, our cabins in a valley, and you know they'll they'll head up to the tops or on the you know side of the mountain. And the bucks def- definitely will bed to you know mid range. They I don't know if they ever go to the top, but they're not too far away from these yeah. food sources that we plant. Um, but yeah, they they bed anywhere though because it's 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 unpressured it's only pressured by us so right okay they feel pretty safe yeah it makes a lot of sense uh now is there a specific is there is there a specific strategy for these mountain deer that you really like to to implement or is are you uh, because you got food plots are you are you hunting blinds and tree stands right off these food plots or are you going in to try to cut them off before they get there now me personally i do not hunt any of our food plots because there's a lot of you know family members in um our cabin that are a lot older than me and uh so we have tree stands set up along these food plots that they'll they will hunt and i'm i'm totally fine with that you know they're older guys just they can walk out the cabin door and walk down to the tree stand and get in and be in a good spot. And I'll, I'll go and do all the, the huffing and puffing walking through the hills. <laughs> right. And, right. um, so I typically like to just hunt. I, I pick Oak, Oak Ridge flats or, you know, and I, I really pay attention to how the wind's blowing to 
and the, like I said, the, the lay of the land through the mountains and kind of pick my areas like that. And, you know, year after year, they've been kind of consistent and successful. Um, so I already know that there's big bucks that bet on this one point. And like last year, I was hunting this one specific buck, and I hunted him all year round. Um, that's the only buck I targeted up there. And he ended up being, uh, he was a, he was over 140, but he broke his one tine off and my uncle ended up shooting him. <laughs> right. So kind of like your story with shipwreck there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that happens, man. Trust me. It yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, um, yeah, I had him now down pretty good, but, uh, no, like I said earlier, the mountains are so big it's so hard you could be in the right spot but these deer are walking 50 yards behind you and you just don't see them right um right. so but yeah now that's, that's on go ahead that's my strategy for like for me anyway but uh yeah if i do get a chance for it to hunt a food plot uh you know i'll just wait just wait to see if the what the wind's doing and i'll go pick one of the the best right. ones with the wind and, you know, if we're up partying one night, then I don't feel like walking too far. <laughs> <laughs> that can happen at deer camp, huh? Yeah, it definitely happens a lot. <laughs> All right. So if you were to pick between, let's say you had optimal conditions, it's the rut, you got an awesome cold front coming through, you know the deer are going to be on their feet. If you had to choose between the mountain setup and the small parcel setup closer to home, which are you choosing? I would choose the mountains uh, because it's more of a personal thing for me up there. Uh, since I've been up there, since I've been a little kid, and uh, my family's all, all up there. So to me, the camaraderie of shooting a deer up there, um, whether it's a 150-inch deer or a 100-inch deer, you know, you're always pretty pumped up and everybody's happy for you. So right. I would rather shoot my buck and I put a lot of time in up there more than I do at home uh, because it means more to me. Not, you know, not, don't get me wrong. I don't, if I shoot a big buck down here, I'm going to be happy as hell. But I think, I think you know what I mean with the camaraderie by myself right. down here, up there, right. I'm, I'm with my whole family. So it's just, it's a lot more, I guess, energetic and fun if you do shoot a, a big deer. Right. Or any deer in that matter. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, sharing that with somebody really uh, puts, a, I guess, a, a little extra on, you know, what you're doing uh, of the hunt and of the harvest. Definitely. It's kind of a game changer for me. Um, I, I'd rather be around a, a group of guys and, uh, you know, be successful on any deer harvest. Um, even though everybody would be happy for me just as much as if I shot a deer at home, but it, you know, sometimes my uncle won't even see that deer until I bring up the antlers and the, uh, you know, during our rut, our rut hunt in the middle of November, we go way up there for a week, you know, and then they're like, Oh yeah, you got a nice buck. That, cool, man. I'll be like, Oh, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> so, but if you shoot it up there, everybody's jumping around, high-fiving and cracking some beers. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. That's awesome. Now I want to talk a little bit, you know, as this podcast winds down, I want to talk a little bit about this public land Ohio trip that you're going to be taking this year. 
Yeah, so I'm very excited for that. Um, me and a few of my buddies, uh, we are heading out to Ohio November 1st. And um, we're heading out there and uh, hoping to get it done. Like We never – I haven't scouted this at all, just looked at some maps and um, kind of just shooting from the hip. Yeah, yeah. Is it now? This is your this is your second time hunting Ohio, but your first time hunting on public ground, right? Yes. Okay. So, what have you done to, I guess, prepare for this hunt from like a finding a place to hunt uh, standpoint? So, we kind of had a, a starting point. Uh, one of my buddies' uncles has property out there. Um, and he gave us permission to stay on the property um, with a RV camper that he, has an electrical outlet to hook up to and everything. Yeah. So that's where we're going to be parked. So we've looked at the closest uh, wildlife areas around there and kind of picked from there what we thought, you know, doing some reading online. Um, I actually called one of the... Uh, wildlife area units and talked to i guess it was one of the game wardens there and he was very helpful um he said you know when you guys get out here a 20 minute ride come down here i'll hook you guys up with topographical maps i'll hook you up with the lay of the land tell you this tell you that and uh i can probably help you cut your scouting time down in half and get you on some deer right away oh um, nice now, so you're getting a, yeah, you're getting so a little that, help from a local yes uh, from actually uh, from the state, I'm getting help. So well, that's uh, cool. Yeah, but other than that, I don't. We don't know anybody that's ever haunted it or anything. So I know it's going to be a pretty hilly, like mountainous terrain there. So it might be a little tough, but I'm ready for it. <laughs> right. So it sounds like you're going to be doing a lot of running and gunning. Yes, a lot of running and gunning, and uh, you know. I'm driving out on a Wednesday night and I'm hoping that Thursday morning, you know, just wake up whenever, just get all my gear, put my tree stand on my back and start hiking and right. doing some scouting. And, and once I find what I like and you know, if it's a mountain, you know, from what I've seen from the maps, it's a pretty mountainous area. So I have, you know, spots I would already have picked out where I would hit right away because from my knowledge of hunting mountains, there should be deer sign there. So if I get in there and see something I like, and uh, hopefully I get that first sit 200 inch Ohio buck walk by. (laughs) (laughs) Abracadabra. Yeah. (laughs) But chances are I'll see nothing. (laughs) Right. So, um, when you're, when you're looking on a map, like for me, um, I, I hunted a couple I kind of once in Nebraska and all I had was maps. I had never been out there. I just looked for features, little areas that I thought would attract deer. Um, And obviously you can't tell if there's any sign from a map, but are there any locations just based off your map homework that you've done that look good enough for you to get excited about? Yeah, I, I'll look, I'll look for any type of uh, pinch in the in the topographical map. Like if you see a, if I see a ridge 
and then I see like you know the two mountains coming together any form of saddle there uh, you know I know that like I know big bucks like to bed off of these points most of the time and especially if it's thicker area I mean I don't know what this terrain in Ohio is going to look like yet but so I'm going to I'm going to take my knowledge from Pennsylvania and transfer it into Ohio and hoping that it works out and I'll probably hunt off the edge of points and on ridges and looking for any type of um, major land feature uh, change like right. if it if it just if it's coming down gradually and then boom it it just drops off and it kind of gradual goes out this way a little bit I'm probably going to put a tree stand somewhere in that area because the deer are going to have to go through that one spot if it's if it's close enough together right you know from mountain to mountain or if it, the two cliffs fall off you know kind of funnels the deer through there I would I would think so cool they're so the, got... the main spot that I would try to to go for anyway what what dates are you heading out there is it is this for the rut yeah uh it would be november 1st would be my drive out and um depending on what happens in pa if i tag out in pa early season then i will extend my trip to ohio um for a couple more days because like i said our family hunt up at my cabin from that whole week the first week in november every single year we go up there Gotcha. So I hate missing that. I hate missing that week, but I'll be in Ohio extending that trip if I kill a buck in PA early season. But if I don't, I will probably leave Ohio on election day, which I think is the seventh or eighth. Or the, I don't know what day it is, but gotcha. I'll leave that and come back to the PA and hunt the last four days of the season in PA for the rut. Okay. So then in Ohio, why, why hunt that first week in the rut and not the second week? Is there a, is there a reason behind that? Well, for Ohio or PA, for for your Ohio trip. Uh, we there was no reason for it really. Um, yeah. I think it just worked out for everybody's schedule that way. Okay, cool. Um, cool. And it allowed me not to miss. I could bundle up two trips into one without taking too much time off of work yeah yeah makes uh that makes some sense man you gotta if you're going on a trip you gotta make sure everybody uh is in the same boat yeah so there's four of us heading out there it all works out for the four of us and and it's just the way the pennsylvania season works that ends on november 11th um statewide everywhere except for the special regulation areas you know right outside of philadelphia there um so that ends november 11th so okay. I'm basically hunting from, I'll be hunting from November 2nd morning till November 11th afternoon, but hopefully I won't be hunting that long. <laughs> hopefully I'll yeah. be just hanging out. <laughs> well, I tell you what, Tom, uh, I appreciate you, uh, taking time to come on the podcast, talk with us about, uh, uh, Eastern Pennsylvania, your public land, Ohio hunt. Uh, I'm excited for you. Good luck this upcoming season. And again, thanks for uh, coming on the podcast, man. Hey, man, thanks a lot for having me anytime, and uh, love to talk to you again soon. And there you have it, another podcast in the books. Huge shout-out to Tom for making his way onto this podcast, taking time out of his day to uh, hop on and chat with us about hunting eastern Pennsylvania. 
Thanks for uh, informing us on where to eat cheesesteaks, too. I always like uh, good inside info on that. Huge shout-out to each and every one of you who have taken time to download this podcast. Please continue to do so. Uh, Please share with your friends. Uh, Go to iTunes. Leave a five-star review and uh, tell your mama about it. Other than that, check me out on Instagram. Check me out on Twitter. Check me out on Facebook. Also, huge shout out to all of the partners of this podcast, Bighorn Outfitters, Lone Wolf Tree Stands, Exodus Trail Cameras, Ozonic Scent Elimination, Gearhead Bows, Wasp Archery Broadheads, Ripcord Arrow Rests, and Deer Lab Trail Camera Pictures. Enter your trail camera pictures into Deer Lab. That's a kick-ass product. Other than that, guys, that's it for this Monday. You know, I don't, I don't often say this enough. You know, I always say wear your damn safety harness. But as we are starting to get into the hunting season, remember how much you love hunting. Whether it's with a gun or bow or crossbow, I don't care. I don't even care if it's groundhogs or white-tailed deer or elk or mountain goats, whatever you're hunting. Remember that this is a natural resource. And if not taken care of, these things have an expiration date. So we have to stand up and fight for these animals, for conservation. And uh, during the hunting season, we sometimes lose sight of that because we're in the timber with blindfolds on. So just imagine the best possible day in the woods this year or in the timber or on the mountain, wherever you're at, and you're thinking about, man, I really love doing this. Then I want you to take a moment and imagine that you couldn't do this anymore. So that would suck. So please, 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 please join join the Quality Deer Management Association. Join the National Deer Alliance. Join the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation. Whatever. Um, it's Conservation is very important. And it all begins with you and me and the individuals. And when we group together, we, we, we have a loud voice. And that loud voice can be heard further away if this any of this makes sense and we need to we need to work together we need to support conservation efforts and we need to um, protect our heritage and protect our traditions and and all that stuff so uh, that's that's my soapbox speech for the day find a conservation effort follow it love it support it and spread the word about it have a great rest of your week Thank you.